Uh-huh. All right, it's good to see everybody. I want to thank y'all for being a part of the class today. We are continuing our study of the uh, harmony of the Gospels. We're taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going through them uh, chronologically as Jesus lived out his life here on earth in the flesh. And uh, today we're going to continue our discussion. Uh, last week we were together, we were in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus warned us that it was very important that we be uh, semper paratus. What did we say that that means? Who remembers that Latin term? In semper, the Marine Corps. Semper, oh, fide. semper fidelis is always faithful. That's the Marine Corps uh, motto. Yeah. The Boy Scouts is semper paratus. So be, be prepared. prepared. Always be ready, always. And so today what we're going to do um, is we're going to continue that discussion, but today we are going to find out that vigilance is an expression of being prepared. Vigilance is an expression of being prepared. What does it mean to be vigilant? To be on vigilant on watch. To be on watch. And remember what Peter said in the in uh, the Apostle Peter. He said, "Be sober." And be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, is roaming around seeking whom he can devour. So he said, be sober. What does it mean to be sober? Not drunk. Not drunk. Okay, good. Be not drunk or not high. It means to be what? On the ball. On the ball, okay. To be sober means to be clear-minded. It means to have a clear mind. To be thinking right, right? To be thinking according to what? Gospel. If we're well, if we're thinking rightly, we're thinking according to the what? The law. The law. Word. 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 The truth. All right. So in, in life, just in life in general, if you say, well, uh, you know, I feel like, and you make a statement of fact, that fact is either true or false. There's no in between. It's either true or false. And if my thinking is not in line with the truth, then more than likely my statement is going to be false. So to be sober means to be clear-minded, to think clearly. And Peter warns us to be sober and to be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, is roaming around seeking who he can devour. So, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, back in our days when we were, uh, let's say, enhancing our thought processes with chemical uh, stimulation, a lot of times it kind of felt good. But I can promise you that it was not uh, conducive to you clearly thinking, right? You get uh, 10 foot tall and bulletproof, yeah, right? Euphoric. Right, you get euphoric, euphoric and you don't think right. You don't think clearly. Well, the reality is is that in our lives as Christians, sin can do the same things that drug does to an addict. It gets us to where we're not thinking clearly. It gets us to where we're not seeing things properly. And so Peter is warning us that we need to live our lives in such a way that we are clear of thought, that our thoughts are in line with the Word of God so that we can walk the proper path. Because the devil's trying to destroy us. He's trying to do whatever he can. And so we're not only to be clear thinking, we're not only to be sober and to be always be prepared, but a part of that preparedness is to be vigilant. 
If there's a lion roaming around seeking to devour me, what does it mean to be vigilant? Keep your eyes open. Yeah, keep your eyes open. He could come out the bushes at any time. And so, uh, so often in our Christian lives, we become, we get tunnel vision, right? We just go through the motions every day. We just do what we're supposed to do, go to work, uh, live our lives, and we just get focused on uh, what we have right in front of us, and we realize, we forget that there's a world going on all around us. The minutia. Yeah, right. And so uh, we need to pay attention to the minutia, but we can also get lost in the minutia, can't we? Get, we get lost chasing after little yeah. things that don't matter when the when we need to be chasing after truth. So uh, with that thought, let's open with a word of prayer. We'll read our text together. Today, Jesus is going to warn us that we need to be vigilant. We need to be clear-minded, and we need to have our minds grounded in truth. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for a chance to come and study your word. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to teach us, uh, to die for us, to save us from our sins. Um, thank you for uh, sending your Holy Spirit so that we might know you, so that our ears, our eyes, and our minds, and our lives might be open to your truth. Your word is truth. And now, Father, as we seek to know you through your truth, please do so. Help us to do that. Help us to grapple with these realities. Help us to see our own shortcomings. Help us to see your righteousness and help us to turn from our sin and self and to turn to your son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's look. Can you share that with me so I can share it with the ones who are absent today? Today's recording. Yes, it's, I always post it. As soon as I get home today, it'll be posted on my sermon audio account. You can go in there and get it anytime you want. Yeah, go to Facebook, and I'll have the sermon posted. You, oh, okay, and you okay. can share that post. Okay. That, or you can go to my sermon audio account and find all of our old classes from the last five or six okay. years. Okay? All right, so let's look at Luke 13. And today we're going to... Uh, we did get it started a little bit late, and not only that, last time I held you up like to the very end. So today we're going to take a smaller portion of Scripture, and hopefully we can get through it all. So let's look at Luke 1 through 13. We're going to go Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 13, 1 through 13. So in uh, 13, 1, it says, Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him, to Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all of the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he began telling them this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and it did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come to look for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does even why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. 
Uh, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness and caused by a spirit. She was bent and doubled and could not straighten up at all. Uh, when Jesus saw her, he called over to him and said, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. Uh, we go through 17. But the synagogue officials, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead him away to water? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 years long, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said this, and all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. All right, so now let's go back through and break this down. Now remember, I want as we read through this, I want us to focus on the fact that Jesus is teaching us to be vigilant, to have a sober mind and to think clearly. And what we're going to see in this passage is, is we're going to see that there are those that think clearly, and those are there are those that do not think clearly. And who is the warning going to be to? Is the warning going to be to those who think clearly or to those who think not clearly? It's actually going to be to both. Right? Be careful because just when you think that you're able to handle yourself, that's when you'll fall, right? The scriptures tell us that in, in certain words. It's when you want to go out by yourself. Yeah. And, and so often uh, we depend on our own abilities. And isn't it funny? We talked about this last week together. When is it that we truly seek God in our lives? When we're in trouble. Yeah, when we're in trouble. When we get a bad report from the doctor, bad medical reports, when our finances are in the toilet, uh, when our kids are rebelling, when uh, we're sick, right? When uh, when I'm when I, when I get when I get my throat starts hurting and I think I'm fixing to get sick, I really pray more about my health, you know. But when I'm healthy, I don't think about it as much, do I? And so there's always this in my walk with the Lord. He's always walking with me, and so often I tend to try to walk away and do it on my own, do it my way, do it in my strength, do it in my power. And so we'll see in this passage today that God allows things to happen in our lives to help us to think more clearly, to help us to think more alertly. So if I'm walking through the jungle and that lion who is looking to devour me roars... At that point, I do become more cautious, don't I? I become more wary. Right? When we were first became sober, uh, we didn't get around anybody that even smelled like the things we used to do. You see? Like we stayed away from those things. And as we start walking again out in the world, we get closer and closer to dabbling back towards the path that we used to walk. Because we think we can handle it. And so we need to think clearly about the fact that God is God and we are not. We need to think clearly about the fact that God has given us a truth to live in and we need to live in that truth because we don't have the strength, uh, we don't have the ability on our own uh, to live contrary to that truth. We need to know what it is to trust it and walk in it. So let's look at these passages. 
13, 1 says, Now on this occasion, there were some present who reported him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered his fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what he's talking to an event that's, uh, that had to have taken place, he wouldn't have, Jesus wouldn't have brought it up had it not taken place. Um, we don't have an, a historical account of it, but we, but the fact that Jesus brings it up, the fact that this group of people are discussing it is proof enough that it happened. We don't know the, the, the specific details behind it, but apparently the Roman government was persecuting a group of Galileans who were offering sacrifices to God. Alright? And the way that he did it was he took and mingled their blood with the sacrifice. Right? Uh, Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So what does that mean? He persecuted him. He killed them while they were offering a sacrifice to God. The the uh, Herod came in and uh, said, "Oh, you want to do a sacrifice? I'll show you what a sacrifice looks like." And he killed them because their sacrifice was putting blood on the altar, right? Right. And he, you know, uh, kind of like the same attitude that Cain had, you know. God was looking for what? The proper sacrifice from Cain. He got the proper sacrifice from Abel, but Cain wouldn't offer the proper sacrifice. So what did Cain do? He killed his own brother. See, basically the attitude is, oh, okay, God, you want a sacrifice? I'll give you a sacrifice. Well, I've always, I always thought of that as being jealousy. Well, it certainly was. But in this, So what we have in here is we have a current event where people are being persecuted for their religious faith. And look what Jesus said. Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? Now, he is in Jerusalem now. He's in Judah now. Now, where are the Jews supposed to bring their sacrifices? Jerusalem. Yeah, they're supposed to bring them to the temple. And so there was a kind of a, oh, those people up there were offering sacrifices, you know, away from the temple. How dare they do that? You know, that... That religious group, those fanatics up there, they should have brought their sacrifice to the temple to, to offer their sacrifice. So there's just religious persecution going on. But not only is there religious persecution going on from the Roman government to those persecuted, but there's also a persecution between the the real godly people and the rest of the world. You see, you see what's going on there? We in Judah, we in Jerusalem, we at the temple, we have the real religion and anybody else out there don't have anything. And serves them right. Sounds like Mormons. <laughs> right? Serves them right for having... And so Jesus said, do you think that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? So uh, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So... Is there not an attitude, a way of not clearly thinking when we see other people suffer and think in our mind, well, the reason they're suffering is because God's mad at them and they're suffering for that. Yeah, we decide what the justice is. Right. Well, they deserved it. Yeah. Well, that's what I they heard is. that about New Orleans that everybody was saying Katrina was... Yeah. They were a wicked city. Right. Okay, so you could say the same thing. Oh, so you think that the people in New Orleans are more wicked than the people in, in Missouri because a hurricane came through there and took them out? You know? Some preachers think so. <laughs> All right. Now, 
Are there degrees of sin? There is. Yeah. Well, sure, there's something worse. Remember last week in our study, we learned that some people would suffer a worse judgment. The ones that knew more were responsible for more than the ones that didn't know as much. Remember what he said last week when we, we talked about that? So there is certainly degrees of sin. And I can promise you that in New Orleans, there's lots of degrees of sin going on there in the same way that it is in Savannah, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Any port town, really, if you want to think about it. Or they're all my mess. But what Jesus is saying is, you need to think clearly about this. Are they worse sinners because they suffered that? Think about the the, the twin towers in well, like in, no in New York much. when the towers collapse. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, well," but think about the innocent people. Well, not in it, nobody's innocent, but think about the people that are just going and doing their daily job. Did anybody deserve that? Right? Did anybody deserve that? Well, the truth of the matter is, according to God's standard of righteousness, there's not a single one of us that deserve anything but justice. It is God in His daily mercy being poured out on us through His grace that we don't suffer the same fate. Don't we always look for somebody that we can say they deserve worse? Sure, yeah. sure. And, and it's, you know, it's, the, it's the same reason that, that girls date the bad boy. And guys, bait, and guys date the bad girl, because as long as it's somebody, I can, as long as I have a scapegoat, as long as I have somebody else to say, well, that's the reason why this didn't work. That's the reason why I'm going through what I'm going through. As long as I got somebody else to point it on, then I don't have to deal with it myself. Mm-hmm. At least I'm not as bad as that. Person. At least I'm not that bad. Yeah. So look what he says, verse three. I tell you, no. Those Galileans were not greater sinner than the other Galileans. But unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. So we need to figure out what this term repent means. What does the word repent mean? Turn around. Turn around. Good. We've learned that in the past, haven't we, Michael? Mm -hmm. So repentance is not crying and being sorry for what we've done. No, it's owning up to what we've done. That's regret. It's putting that sorry... To work. To work by turning away from it and not doing it anymore. So, repentance, one of the theologians I read said, uh, repentance is not crying, repentance is changing. Mm-hmm. Like it's turning away from the things that are killing me and turning it back to God. So, repentance is a state of the heart, it is a state of the mind, and it is a action that we commit. It almost brings the, the old adage, you know, of uh, repeating the same mistake. Right. If you grieve it, why do you grieve it? Because you know it's wrong. Yes. And so, boom. Very much so. And so, we need to understand. So, Paul teaches it this way. He said that there's a sorrow, a worldly sorrow, where people are sorry that they get caught. They're sorry that they're having to do the punishment that they're doing. There's not a single person in the world who's dying from lung cancer that smoked all of their life that is not sorry that they're dying from lung cancer and smoked all their life. And they're not sorry that they, uh, or they may be sorry that they smoked all of their life. But they were never. People who got lung cancer that never smoked. That's very true. But the point being is this. They're sorry for the physical condition they're in. And they're sorry that they did that all of their life because now they're paying for it. But they were never sorry enough to stop. 
lot of them keep smoking. Right. Even well, yeah. Keep yeah. Therapy. Yeah. So I had my grandmother died with uh, with a uh, nasal nasal oxygen in her, in her nose. But she would turn that off because the daughter told her she was going to blow the house up. So she turned off and go out of the porch and smoke a cigarette. You see? Is there not an irony in that? You're having to use oxygen because your lungs aren't working properly, yet you'll turn the oxygen off and go out and pump smoke into it. That's addiction. Right? Sure. Sure, it's an addiction. Uh, I, I think of the think of the hypocrisy of all the people running around with masks on that go out and smoke a cigarette and pull the mask down to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> like you're worried about some little COVID germ getting you on, but yet you're pumping carbon dioxide into you know it, they go people, outside to pull a mask down and smoke a cigarette. They just think it's too late, so they don't bother to quit. Right, that's exactly right. And so, what do we learn from it? We learned that there is a type of sorrow that you really are sorry, like you cry. You're sad, you're depressed. But he said, but there is a, a godly sorrow that is a gift from God. It's when God's grace comes in and shows you what you look like from his point of view. And you are willing to acknowledge that. It's easy for me to come to you and say, hey, all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. I can say that to you all day. But until you believe it, you won't accept it. Like, until you trust it, that is the truth. Well, well, yeah, all have sinned, but at least I haven't sinned like them. Right. You see? Yeah. I'm not as bad as they are. I'm not as bad as they are. And, and remember, the crowd he's talking to has this attitude. Is that not the attitude of many that go to church today? Yeah. Well, I'm here at least. Yeah. Hey, I'm here and they're out there. At least I'm not laid up in the bed hungover this morning. You see? And I'm so the church hungover. Yeah, I'm at a church hungover. That's <laughs> exactly right. And so Paul tells us that there is a worldly sorrow that makes us sorry, but there is a godly sorrow that leads unto life. There's a worldly sorrow that makes us sorry, but it leads to death. There's a godly sorrow that is a sorrow that leads to life. And what does that mean? It means when God's grace is at work in your heart, when you are truly repentant for what you have done, right? You turn from what you have done and you turn to Him. So um, there's a huge difference in the term repentance and penance. You pay penance. What do you think penance is? What does it mean to do, do penance? Oh. That's a good Catholic term, Michael. What does it mean to yeah, do penance? It means to uh, do something to make it right. Good. So, what is repentance? To do it again. It's to turn from what you're doing. It's to turn from what you're doing and trust in what God has done. What is penance? It's turning from what you do and do something. You see the problem with that? It's paying for what you did wrong instead of changing yourself. Yeah, right. Instead of turning from what I've done wrong, it's trying to make up for it. Yeah. Who are you relying on when you do penance? Yourself. Yeah, you're relying on yourself. Repentance is a turning away from self-reliance and turning to God alone. So how many of us in our lives, Lori, I, I, I'm sure that you would be willing to admit with me that you're guilty. I, I know I'm guilty of this. I try to fix things that I've broken in the past. By helping other people out, I try to fix the things that are wrong with me. You see, and, and it's, that's human nature, is it not? 
Like as long as I can fix the Galileans up there, I don't have to worry about the sin in me. But you know the thing about also sin in me. When you're helping the the thing about sin in me is it's almost. I mean, I realize that I can dwell on some of my past sins, and then I can cast them aside. Ah, oh, finally, I got that out of my head, you know. But the thing is that unless you have God in your mind and in your heart at all times. You're going to be drifting off back right. into your old habits, right, right. and your mind just automatically does it. Right. You're, you're center weighted, no doubt, and you just drift right back into your old now self. I want to remind you. I just read something on this this morning, kind of what you're talking about. I want you to remember what John said in John chapter three. John said that he must increase. That's God, and I must decrease. That's me. Right. He must increase and I must decrease. That is what sanctification is. Mm-hmm. Sanctification mm-hmm. is dying to self and living in Christ. Right? So how much of Christ do you have, Dave? Not enough. Good answer. That's actually not a good answer. Yeah, he's given us all. You have all of him. I have all of him, but I don't keep him always in right. my heart. It's in the, it's in the closet. That's oh, yeah, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, the okay, point, I get the oh, Okay, so how much, of, how much of Christ do I have? I have all of him. He's given his all for me. And how much of that promise is given to me? All of it. But what I have to learn how to do is to live in it. Die to self and live in him. I have to learn to stop. Be in me and let him be in me. I have to die to self so that what he has given me can come out. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. And so what is God going to do? Well, let's look, let's look on down. He says in verse three, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So the point being is, is that there is a judgment that is on the world and we're seeing it played out all around us all the time through all kind of terrible things happening. We have to turn away from sin itself and turn to Him because we may be the one that the tower falls on next. We never know when that when when something's going to happen to us. We live our lives like we talked about last week, like it's not going to happen. But the reality is, there's coming a day when we will all stand before God. Yes, stand. I was in a misconception because when I came, when I first got back from Bible ministry. I went to the people who, who I considered caused me to go there in the beginning. That I had, well, they were starting fights, and I and I would I was getting to enjoy it, so I had to just leave. So I said, I'm gonna repent by going and apologizing to you know everybody that I had did harm to. Is that the same? Thing? Yeah. Yes. So it, um, I think in, in many of y'all, I don't go to any of them, but the twelve step programs. One of the things is to make amends, right? Yeah. It, right. That's penance, is what that is. It's going back and making up for the the wrong. So you may not be changed, but you've made it good to them. You paid the debt yeah. that you owe. Right. That doesn't change you. Right. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I always look at it. Yeah. God said, yeah. "If I am for you, who can stand against you?" So, right. so I didn't have any fear when I went to them. So he he says. He says, do you suppose that the 18 that were in the tower in Siloam when it fell killed them or were worse worse culprits than those who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. All right, so the point being is is that they're looking on these people at this tower that fell on them as being worse sinners than they are because God 
God caused them to suffer. Like He was judging them through that action. Right? Uh, you know, the same thing with the, the Galileans whose blood pilot had mixed with their sacrifices. But Jesus says, you think that they're worse than you? I tell you, you need to repent. Unless you all likewise perish. So the point being is, is that in repentance we find mercy. When we turn away from sin itself and turn to Christ, instead of judgment, we find grace. You had mentioned we don't know when that wall is going to fall on us. Right. We don't know when we'll have that fatal accident. Right. We had better be right with God right. before that happens. Right. These Didn't people Jesus apparently say were not. That it was a warning to all sinners. Yes. That it was not. Uh, it was not a way of of taking out the evil. It was a warning for all sinners. It wasn't necessarily that they were more evil than. Right. All right. So watch what he says in verse six. So now he's going to tell them a parable. All right, what is it? We, we've talked about that in the past. What is a parable? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? He's going to tell a story that we can all grasp, but it's going to have spiritual and eternal ramifications to it, application to it. All right, so watch what he says. He began telling a parable. A man had a fig tree. All right, I like figs. I love fig preserves. He planted it in his vineyard. He came back looking for fruit on it, and he did not find any. Are there other passages in Scripture where we see Jesus coming and finding no fruit on a tree? Yeah, curse the tree. Curse the tree. Yeah. All right, good. So this tree was a fig tree, but it did not have any fruit on it. So the vineyard keeper, uh, so he, he came looking for fruit on it. He said he did not find any. So he said to the vineyard keeper, uh, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why is it even using up the ground? All right. So there's a judgment on this tree, isn't there? What is the judgment? Kill it. Cut it down. It's not fruitful. It's not fruitful. It's wasting air. It's wasting soil. It's a waste. It's worthless. Judge it. Kill it. Cut it down. He said to the many people, for three years I've come, there's no fruit. Why is it even used up ground? Then he said to him, let it alone, sir, for this year too, and I will dig around it, and I will put fertilizer on it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. So we say, hold on, let's give it one more chance. What are we going to do? We're going to dig up the soil around it. We're going to fertilize it. So what's the point of digging up the soil and fertilizing it? Giving it another chance. Yeah. And giving it all that it needs to what? Well, to grow and produce fruit. fruit. In God's grace, He gives everyone opportunity, does He not? He gives us the opportunity to be fruitful. So, with that said, really quickly, I want you to turn back with me to Matthew 6 because I want to remind you of another parable that He used and we need to make sure that we, we grasp this. He's not just talking about fig trees, all right? Uh, Matthew 6. I'm sorry, Matthew 7, verse 15. Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. This is Matthew 8, verse 15. Matthew 7, verse 15. Verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from a thistle. You can't go up to a sticker bush and get a fig. All right? You can't go up to a cactus and get a plum. You go up to a cactus, what are you going to get? Pricked. 
Right. Right. All right. So every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce good fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So if the tree does not produce good fruit, what is the judgment? Cut it down, burn it up. So then you will know them by their fruits. Now, another thing that he says here is not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Alright? So, what is he saying? Just because you run around saying, Lord, Lord, just because you look like a fig tree does not mean you're producing figs. You can run around with a three-piece suit on saying, Lord, Lord, all day long. But what does a real fig tree do? It puts off figs. It puts off figs. You see? So, what are these fruits that he's talking about? We can, I can remind you of Paul in Galatians. He says, he said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, and long-suffering. So, what does that mean? It means if the Spirit of God is in me, then the things that are going to come out of me in my conversation, what did we say that means? What is our conversation? I walk and talk, right? Conversation in the scriptures is not just what you say, it's what you do. And so if the Holy Spirit is in me, then his fruit is going to come out of me. Your conversation is what other people observe? Yeah. Your conversation is what you do with your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mouth, your ears. It's all of who you are. It's an expression of your life, who you are. And so Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, and all suffering. So if the Spirit of God is in me, then God and neighbor will see that fruit coming out of me. He will see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So when I'm at work and I'm just making it a minute right here and I go around kicking the trash can because my employees aren't doing what they're supposed to do, is God and my neighbor seeing the fruit of the Spirit in me? No. What he's seeing is the works of the flesh, which are anger, wrath, envy, jealousy, sedition, heresy, strife, drunkenness, carousing. You see how that works? When I lose my temper at work because I can't get my employees to do what they're supposed to do, then I am not expressing the fruit of the Spirit because one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. You put a basket over your light. Yeah, there you go. So, so Jesus says you will know a tree by its fruits. And just because you run around saying, Lord, Lord, does not mean that you are really a, a fig tree. Right? Well, it does say if you believe in my name, you will be saved. So, I mean, you're saying, Lord, Good. save, save me. <laughs> but what, look what he says right here. Verse 21. Just talk. Look at verse 21 of Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father is in heaven will enter. All right. Now, this, Michael, is the, one of the separating points between the Catholics and the Protestants. All right. I went to a debate. I literally went to a bait between a Catholic theologian and a Protestant theologian up in Atlanta one time. And this verse was the very first that the Catholic was trying to use to say, see, you have to work or you don't get to heaven. Mm -hmm. 
It is not, he said, just because you say, Lord, Lord, uh, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven is the one who will enter. So what does it take to do? What does it take to go to heaven? Will the will of the Father, it actually takes the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit to get you to heaven because it's not your works that get you there. But watch what he's saying here. Well, the point he's making is this. If God is in you, he's coming out of you. And what's it going to look like when he comes out of you? Fruitful. Your life is going to be full of works. All right, good. So, the point that the Protestant theologian made in that debate was this. The works that we do are descriptive of one going to heaven. They are not the prescription for going to heaven. What is a prescription? It's a prescribe it's a it's a order, a procedure to do. Mm-hmm. Alright? Take three of these and call me in the morning. That's a prescription. Alright? Well you know it, it, So what Jesus is saying here is it's not what you do that gets you to heaven. It's who you are that gets you to heaven. If you're a child of God, you're going to heaven. But our works... If you're a works, he don't want you there. Huh? If you're a two-faced hypocrite, he doesn't yeah. want you there. But our works are descriptive of who we are. So it's not your works that get you to heaven, but your works do show that you're going there. So the works show us who we are. They don't make us who we are. That's right. The f- Good. So let's apply that to the fruit tree. An apple does not make an apple tree an apple tree. It's the apple tree that makes the apple. The tree is what makes the fruit, not the fruit the tree. If you are a child of God, what kind of fruit is going to come out of your life? God fruit, which is what? Love, joy, peace, faith, kindness. All right. Now, look what Jesus said there. Every good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. All right? So the point being is, is that when God looks on your life, it is either fruitful or it is not. And uh, Dave, we talked about this earlier in the class. They said, well, uh, I would like to have more of God because all I'm seeing is Dave. Right? Absolutely. Right. Well, the truth of the matter is the potential for fruitfulness is always there because Christ is within you. But you have to chop down the old tree and allow the new tree to live, you see? And as long as you're allowing the old tree to live, it's choking out the good fruit that is within. And so I go back to this parable because this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in that Luke. Let's go back to Luke 13 now. Somebody was in a gang and they were doing bad stuff their whole life. And the the deathbed, they repented. And they said, Lord, Lord, wouldn't he reject them? No. No, because the only person that can truly say, Lord, Lord, and mean it is one who the Lord is at work in their heart. Like, in other words, the work of grace, the work of regeneration has to be going on in the heart for a person to truly mean it when they say, Lord, Lord. What did we say? What does it mean to call him Lord? We've talked about this a bunch of times in the past. To make him your master. He's the master. I'm the slave. He's the master. 
And I can promise you, Lord, I can't speak for you because I'm not a woman, but I can tell you that every man in this room loves to be the boss. We like to have the remote control. We want to be in control. (laughs) We want to be the ones calling the shots. To truly call him Lord means that he is the one calling the shots. And so if this person on their deathbed has truly had a change of heart, it is because God has changed their heart and they're calling out to him. All that come to me, he will turn away none. Anyone that truly comes to him, he's not going to turn away. Woman's going to be a boss. Right. Well, they they're trying to be the boss because God made man the boss. And, and so you may hear that person say that you don't know if it's sincere or not. God does. Right. And if it's sincere, he'll know it. Right. Right. So it's not. Right. And so it's not up to me to look at that guy that's been living his whole life the wrong way, who's turned on his dead man, and say, "Well, there ain't no way he changed that quick." Because God can change a man. On the cross, he changed one. Remember? Yeah. This day you'll be with me in paradise. He never done anything good. But he had faith. He trusted in the one that was good. Okay. So let's look at this passage again. He said uh, to the vineyard keeper, Behold, three years I've come looking for fruit. So think about that. Think about it in our own personal lives. How many times has God come to us looking for fruit in our lives? And instead of finding you're, you're meddling now. Yeah. So how many times has he found love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, <laughs> and all suffering, as opposed to finding anger, wrath, envy, strife, jealousy, heresy, sedition, drunken, and carousing? You see? So he says, uh, he said, I've come here looking for fruit, and I can't find any. But the vineyard keeper says, well, hold on. Let me till up the ground and put fertilizer on it. Through, through common grace, I'm going to treat this bush, this tree, with some special care. I'm going to plow up the ground around it, and I'm going to dump manure on it. <coughs> Let's give it another chance to produce the food. So, the point being is, by tilling the ground and pouring the manure on the tree, is that changing the nature of the tree? Changing the nourishment of the tree. It's changing the nourishment. It's not changing the nature of the tree. It's not in any way changing its genetics. But it is helping it to allow its natural genetics to be expressed. You see how that works? So, if I'm truly a child of God, what kind of fruit is going to come out of my life? God fruit. Can I be a child of God and not be fruitful? Yeah. Well, not yeah. very fruitful, but at some point in time, you at least got to change your heart. Well, you don't change your heart. He does. Well, so, but what it's teaching us is there comes times in our lives when God will till the ground around us and dump manure on us <laughs> so that we can prove who we really are. Now, what would be some ways that God could do that? What would be, what does it mean to till the ground? Well, Generally, you're disturbing the ground. Uproot it, right? Uproot the ground around you. It's changing the foundation of where you are. Yeah. Has there been times in our lives where God is shaking the ground around us? Right? Test that element. Test that element. All right. And what is, right? And well, so, and what about uh, this manure? So he's, he's, he's tilled the ground around and he's dumped manure. So what, what are the things that God can pour on our lives? To allow us to show who we really are. There's a sack of manure right there. Uh Manure. Uh Uh Manure. Godly people. The Bible. 
What? Well, think about it. What are some things that God can pour onto our lives to help us to see who we really are? Holy Spirit. Well, He does pour the Holy Spirit on us. But but what about this? Judgment and persecution, discipline, sickness, trials, testings, trials. So we can see what life is like when He's not present to us. What are some things that God can pour out onto our lives to force us to prove who we really are? Challenges. Yeah. When we go through suffering, when we go through pain, when we go through tribulations and trials and testings, the real me comes out, doesn't it? Oh, sorry. Right? Right. So what did he say? No, no, no. Let's give him a chance. Let's give him a chance. Let's shake up the ground and pour some fertilizer on him and see who the real person is. And so what's going to happen? When the ground gets shaken and the fertilizer gets poured on. And the the rain comes. Right, and the rain comes. Right, and God allows the rain to be poured on the good and the evil alike. What's going to happen? The real fruit is going to come out. And if it's God and His Holy Spirit that is in me, what is coming out of me? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. But if my heart is unregenerate, if I'm just running around saying, Lord, Lord, when in reality I'm Lord, then the real me is going to come out when, when the ground is shaken up and the fertilizer is pouring on. So you see what he's saying there? Let's, so, so think about that. He, he's talking about these people that have suffered these terrible uh, judgments, if you will, like like they've gone through. Like I think I can't get out of my mind the twin towers. I can't get out of my mind those planes that went down on nine eleven with all of those innocent babies and stuff in it. Like not, you know, there was a lot of nobody's innocent, but there was because we've all sinned. But the reality is, is there was people that had like they weren't doing. Like bad stuff. Right. They weren't of age of accountability. Right. Well, well, they were. But but really decent people suffered horribly in those times. And not only the ones who were killed, but their families. Right. And and so that happens every day all over the world. It does. does. And that's what Jesus said. Be careful, because I'm telling you, in God's grace, He allows you to see those things so that you will repent. And not likewise perish. Like, God allows us to see judgment being poured out on the world around us so that we will turn from the world and turn to Him. What did He say? What You, you understand in, in the book of Romans, one of the greatest expressions of God's judgment is when He turns people over to their own actions. He turns them over to their own hard hearts and stubbornness. Reprobate. To a reprobate mind. He turns them over to themselves. That's one of the worst. And what are we seeing in the world right now? We're seeing a world that is self-indulgent, self-righteous, self-willed, self-sufficient. And so what what is all that self-righteous, self-willed, self-sufficiency bringing? Emptiness and depravity and vanity. Self-worship. And judgment. You see? All about self. Yeah. And so we living in a world right now who is being turned. Okay, you want to enjoy yourself? Go enjoy yourself. And you'll find that there's nothing at the end of self but emptiness and destruction and judgment. So what did Jesus say? I'm telling you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. 
So this is a very powerful lesson to teach us because he's not just talking about, and, and this is something that I have to deal with in my life every day, he's not just talking about walking around with an appearance of righteousness, but remember he got up in the Pharisee's business and said, hey, if you're staring at a woman to lust upon her, you've already committed the act in, in God's eyes. Like you're guilty of adultery when you just stare at a woman to, to lust over her. So he's not just talking about you going and and climbing in the rack with your neighbor's wife he's talking about you looking at your neighbor's wife at the grocery store so it's not just a matter of putting on a three-piece suit and walking around letting everybody around me say look how good he is god's looking at my heart and he's seeing my conversation the things that i'm thinking the things i'm saying the things i'm feeling the things that i'm doing and i can tell you that uh, you know what? What did old Vernon McGee used to say? He said, uh, "You know, if if um, I knew some of the things that was going through some of y'all's people's mind, I might not teach this class. But if you knew something go through my mind, you wouldn't sit here and listen to me." Uh, <laughs> Who said that? Jay Vernon McGee. I said by you. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, we're all sinners, yeah. and we've all, except for the grace of God, deserve judgment. And that's what he's warning us here. He's like, "Look, God's grace is being poured on your lives." You need to be vigilant. You need to be sober. You need to be thinking about what you say, what you do, who you are. You need to die to self and live for me. You know, and and these, these parables, this this kingdom principle that he's bringing out here in these gospels, is is a very powerful and convicting thing in our lives, or it should be. Amen. All right, so let's close with a word of prayer. We'll get back together next week. We'll talk about Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And we'll go into some more parables, okay? Father, thank you for this time that you've given us together. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, and your truth. Help us to be fruitful. Help us to die to self and live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.